0: All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Hello Hello and welcome to Primitive Screwheads Talk Horror Movies. And Andrew, I just want to let you know that there will be blood. Because great. I cut myself shaving this morning, and it's still just kind of leaking out here and there. Um, and then also there was a zit that I popped, and like it's all over, and it's just really, really gross. So I just want to warn you—fair warning—there will be blood in this podcast. Okay, is that fine?
1: You know, it, it's a great transition into our new sponsor, uh, the Dollar Shave Club. You can uh, get your first month subscription for five ninety nine if you use the code uh, Screwheads.
0: Well, anyway, listeners, uh, we are Andrew and Dan, and we are two friends who met over when we were teaching the kiddos over in South Korea back in 2013 to 2015. Um, But we bonded over our love of horror movies, and we are still talking about it today, still messaging each other back and forth whenever something crops up or some opinion that one of us has that we want to share, and we decided to start a podcast about it. So this is our podcast, Primitive Screwheads Talk Horror Movies. Every week we get on over and we talk about a different movie. Thank you so much to the band Teddy's Atlas for our theme song. It's called Horror Movie Story, and you can find it off the album Children of the Corn. They're good, good Canadian boys. Please support them. Today's movie is the James Wan masterpiece. Is it Wan Wan? It's one, one, okay, I'm going to edit that out. Okay, James Wayne's masterpiece, uh, (laughs) The Conjuring 2, which is interesting because we have not reviewed the first one yet because I have not seen the first one yet, which is very weird. Anyway, um, so why don't you, because, Andrew, you are definitely the, uh, should I say, James Wayne master here. Uh, Tell me a little bit about his career and what you know about him, because he's making some waves in the horror movie community, or he has been over the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, um, so he, um, he's, I think, one of the original directors and writers of the first Saw movie, mm-hmm. um, which to me is probably the only good one in the series. Um, he also did that movie uh, Dead Silence about like, the killer puppet lady, um, back in like, 2007, which is pretty awesome. Um, I haven't
0: even heard of that He one.
1: did the Insidious series. Mm-hmm. Um, he did, I, think he did, I think he directed one and two, and then kind of gave, it was just a producer for uh, three and four. Yeah. Um, and that, and even though this aren't necessarily part of his Conjuring universe, they kind of start around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he recently just directed the Aquaman movie, which I've heard is actually pretty good. Yeah, I the, heard uh, it was DC a universe. fun little romp
0: too. And going back to Insidious, like I, I've heard, I've seen the first Insidious and I've seen the Conjuring too, and definitely he's got this horror tone, horror style where I don't feel he necessarily does break out of new grounds. He doesn't do a lot of things very uniquely, but he does do the horror movie cliches and the stuff very, very well. They're all, everything he's done, I feel, have always been very solid films, even if they really haven't pushed the boundaries of the horror medium, but they're very solid. And I really, really like Insidious. I really, really like The Conjuring 2, and I'm excited to see more by him.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think I feel like a lot of his movies, even the ones that he's kind of a producer mm-hmm. on, they almost kind of downplay the horror a lot. Like, there's not, a, like, you know, there's really some nice violins in the background, there's some good music, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of jump scares, there's not a lot of gore. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of kind of the creep factor and the idea that, like, yeah, like, a, a demon just kind of hanging out near you could be creepy, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to jump in your face.
0: Yeah, exactly. And he's got a lot of human elements to his movies as well, which I'm going to talk about specifically in The Conjuring 2 later on when we get to mm-hmm. that section. Um... But yeah, so today we are going to talk about that. Uh, James um, Wan, and he produced a new movie called, or he directed a movie called The Conjuring back in, I'm pulling that up, 2013, Um, and I have not seen that movie. So Andrew, do you want to give me like a little summary of that movie real quick?
1: Yeah, so basically um, it's just kind of our first outing with uh, Bill, not Bill, what's his name? Fuck. His His name's not Bill. Adam Lorraine Warren, thank you. Um, as they kind of help this family in a almost amnivellish kind of mm-hmm. setting. Um, basically, they this family moves into a house and it's haunted. And there's um, some, without giving like really too many spoilers, there's a woman who had kind of a dark past and a dark incident. Uh, which her ghost is kind of uh, terrorizing the family as a result of.
0: Now, Ed and Lorraine um, and... are based on two actual figures called Ed and Lorraine who were paranormal hunters way back in the 60s, um, 60, 60, 70s. Yeah. 60s, 60, 60, uh-huh. 70s, yeah. yeah. Correct? Yeah. And um, yeah. we were talking a little bit, uh, you actually read one, their book, correct?
1: Yeah, I read, I read their book, of The Demonologist, uh, or Demonologist, And what did you think of probably.
0: that one?
1: Uh, like, At first, I really liked it. Like, when I first saw The Conjuring, I was really kind of intrigued in this idea. Like, I've always kind of been intrigued by, I don't know, religion, even though I'm kind of mm-hmm. an atheist. I am an atheist. I just really kind of enjoy the lore of it, and I thought the lore of the demonology sounded really kind of mm-hmm. cool. Um, but to me, it just felt like a lot of hot air. It felt like... Uh, Kind of like, just, they seem very full of themselves and almost trying to convince us that what they're doing is right. Like, Ed kind of came off as a man who thinks he's a superhero mm-hmm. and would kind of just walk into a room and be like, hey, uh, that creaky floorboard there is is obviously the cause of a demon or like, you know, like I, I did some research and found out there was a guy who died here. So obviously his ghost is the problem. Mm-hmm. And it was very, it was very like trying to talk factually about like the things he did, but also kind of brushing it off, like kind of brushing off like, oh, I'm kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. I... You know, aside exc- this demon, yeah. you know, no big deal. The,
0: the, the light went out in the refrigerator, so obviously a demon. You know, if there's a creaky step in the basement, it's obviously a demon, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and, and like, honestly, for me, it was a big letdown because I really, I, I love Patrick Wilson as an actor. And I think Vera Farmiga does a great mm-hmm. job, and I think they, they make these characters seem so much more understandable and believable mm-hmm. in kind of how they present themselves than I felt their book did, which was kind of yeah. Funny.
0: And that's you know the whole conundrum of the based on a true story any sort of movie but especially in horror movies where you know if a movie says based on true events we're definitely expecting that at least half of it is to be greatly exaggerated to say it mildly um Mm -hmm. but i do like the premise of the conjuring films they're basically these two paranormal sherlock holmes characters who go around and they solve people but i the anthology aspect of it they can go on their own little self-contained adventure and still be connected, but you know, I saw Conjuring 2 without having seen the first, and I did not feel lost at all. It's a very self-contained film. And I felt that's a great mm-hmm. jumping off point for a franchise, which they did because we have the Annabelle and the Annabelle sequel, which is loosely based off um the first movie spun off right there. And then we also have the nun as well, which is based off the antagonist in this film, The Conjuring Tomb. And I just, mm-hmm. I really feel they do a good job with embellishing the universe and establishing the universe, and just breaking into these little tiny parts. So I think it's a great yeah. popcorn horror movie franchise where it doesn't do a lot of things new, but it does the old things very, very well.
1: I, agree. I feel like it. I feel like it kind of brings back the old haunted house movie. Like I don't really think we have many of those these mm-hmm. days. And I think that it's it's kind of like a pure ghost movie. That's kind of what I liked about this and insidious i feel like they're just pure kind of ghost demon movies which you don't really get much anymore Mm -hmm. we get these very contrived kind of demon movies where like 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 the bye bye man shit where like it's like these teen flicks where they kind of are running away from the bye bye man or the wish upon thing and i think that it's a very kind of pure and kind of like classic horror that they're coming back to
0: yeah and you know they're not trying to say some sort of big deeper meaning or some cosmic horror you know really 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 drag down the audience with in terms of how depressing everything is. Like, I saw Hereditary, and that movie just absolutely killed me. Amazing movie, but God, it was so depressing. Um, this one, I mean, I saw it, and I I, I picked it out. Um, my girlfriend and I had a horror movie date, and we wanted to pick out some lighthearted horror movies. And honestly, Conjuring 2, I mean, it's got some tense scenes, but overall, it's got a very happy ending, and it's a very... Feel good ending, and that's what I kind of mm. like about it. There's some really feel good scenes about it, too. It's got heart, it's got a lot of heart, yeah. and I like that.
1: Uh-huh. Well, when I feel like that's what a lot of James Wan's kind of um, horror movies have done, especially the Conjuring the Insidious universe. Yeah. I think a lot of it's about family, mm-hmm. like, um, like in, even Insidious, like Up to Insidious 4, which I was a piece of shit, I can't remember it very mm-hmm. well, but I still feel like there's a big theme of family and kind mm-hmm. of the idea that you know coming together and working together um, was really mm-hmm. important, and so. I'm really impressed with, with that aspect of his films. I, like, I'm wondering if Aquaman has any of that. Patrick Wilson is actually back again in Aquaman, so James Wan clearly loves him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. he,
0: he did a fantastic job in this movie. So, cool. Oh, yes, he did. All right, so you ready to jump on in into the story of The counter 2? Sounds right. good. So the movie starts off in 1976, and we've got our two heroes, Ed and Lorraine Warren, our ghost-busting married couple, and... They've got a little cameo scene at the very, very beginning where they're investigating the famous Amityville murders at the Amityville house. Lorraine kind of goes into this, what would you call it? A trance, a past life yeah. sort of thing where basically she goes into the, the memory of the murder of the Amityville horror um, when he kills his entire family. During... Sentence, that's the word I'm looking for. During that sentence, when Lorraine is basically in the ghost realm, reliving these memories, she comes across um, a freaky nun. A very, Wait, very... Up. You mean, you mean seance? Seance, yeah, that's what's called. Okay, there we go, Sorry. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, man, I've got the Wikipedia summary pulled up right here, okay? If it says seance, I'm going to trust whatever Wikipedia says, despite what my college professor says. Uh-huh. So that's that right there. Um, so they go into the basement, and she gets this premonition of her husband's not having a very good day by the fact that he is impaled by a goddamn tree. Um, she wakes up, freaks out, says, listen, we can't keep doing this anymore. It's going to kill you eventually. It's too dangerous. And so establishes our kind of motivation for Lorraine right there. Um, Now, the first movie was not about the Amityville horrors, right? No. Okay. So that was one thing I was confused about when I started saying, I was just like, oh, they're throwing a throwback to the first movie, but okay, so it's not that. All right. So after that opening scene, we move on over to um, Enfield, England, which is a suburb in East England or a borough Mm. or whatever the term is, and... We meet this family. It's a family of four kids, single mother, father left a long time ago. She's trying to make it work. Um, the I remember the movie plays London Calling by The Clash because that's obviously the only establishing <laughs> song you can use when you're talking about London. And I really like the setting. Like, I felt that's something that a lot of horror movies have not explored, a low, downtrodden London setting. And it really, it establishes a lot of the tone for the movie where the kids are talking in slain and they've got their school uniforms and, you know, the kid is always asking for biscuits and it's got this very English tone to it all. And I, I, I really like that. It brings something new. It brings something different. It kind of helps establish it on its own. So, mm. yeah. Um, so what is the uh, big problem that happens in this movie? What, what's going on in this house?
1: Great question. Well, <laughs> so I think the first kind of really kind of see thing going on um, is at night when the two daughters are kind of going to bed mm-hmm. um, and they start hearing um, some voices. But uh, the, the youngest daughter, I believe, uh, Janet starts talking to somebody kind of in her room mm-hmm. um, who at one point kind of almost possesses her and starts speaking mm-hmm. through her saying that uh, the house is theirs and they need to leave the house. Okay.
0: Now I got a question for you. Uh, that David Cassidy poster on the wall, did you think that was the ghost at first?
1: Bro, I can't even know what you're talking about. There,
0: there was a poster of David Cassidy on their wall. Do you not know who David Cassidy is?
1: I'm not going to lie. I have no oh, idea. Oh, man.
0: The Partridge Family?
1: So I know that was a thing? That was a thing.
0: They were basically the Brady Bunch, except they were a musical bands, and apparently all the girls in the 70s were, like, obsessed. Like, it was basically the NSYNC of the 70s. I only know because my mom was a huge fan of David Cassidy, but yes. Wait.
1: Wait, weren't, weren't the Brady Bunch a musical group?
0: No, the Brady Bunch was not a musical group. But they kind of have. For some reason,
1: I thought they played songs at one point in the Brady Bunch oh, movie. Oh, they might
0: have. I don't know. We'll talk about that on our Brady Bunch podcast. But anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, Janet, um, who is played by, I'm going to pull her up right here uh, Madison Wolf. Oh, she's great. Oh, she was phenomenal in this movie. So she plays the girl who gets possessed, um, mm-hmm. the youngest daughter of the group. Um, who this ghost who is haunting their home decides to possess. And she does an amazing job with the creepy voices. I mean, I'm sure that was edited in post, but she does a great job with her body language. She does a great job with her poses. She does a great job with appearing as such a scared, terrified, abused little girl, honestly. And it's really, yeah, she does an amazing job. Um hmm. But yeah, so eventually, you know, they're hearing voices, the older sister's a little bit concerned, but it keeps going. And I remember there's one scene where Janet says, you know what, hey, I haven't gotten a lot of sleep, I'm not feeling well, can I stay home from school today? And she does, and she's sitting on the couch, flipping to the TV, going back and forth, Margaret Thatcher's on one of them, and... She hears this voice, this angry cockney old man voice saying, get out of my house, get out of my house, over and over and over again. And then there's this great jump scare where he actually appears over her shoulder screaming right in her head with his yellow teeth and his yellow eyes screaming, get out. And then that's that. So we have our established house is haunted by this cockney old man who just wants his house back. And mm-hmm. what do you think of that?
1: I, I loved it. I thought that the scene was like really tense, yeah. like the how he kept changing back to the channel. Like I was kind of, I'd seen it, like I watched it recently, and I, you know, I'd seen it when it first came out, and like I forgot what was going to happen. Like I knew she was going to die or anything, but I was like, I of my seat mm-hmm. waiting for you know something to happen.
0: Yeah, and James Wan is really Wan. Oh my God, James Wan is really really good with just setting up that tension. It's another thing, you know, it's a jump scare, you know, it's coming. But he does it so well. Like, I was expecting something to pop up on the TV, but no, it cuts away quick establishing shot. He is right there taking up half the screen behind her shoulder. It's, oh, it's really, really good. It actually reminded me a lot of the um, the Darth Maul scene in Insidious, where they're just sitting around the table talking oh, yeah. a little bit. And then the guy pops up over the other guy's shoulder right there. Uh, oh, that's Yeah, it's a good one. So anyway, so we got actually, that. that could- um Janet is completely terrified of this old man and uh da-da-da-da. what was the one event that forces them to go to the neighbors was it the kitchen scene
1: um so it was trying to remember was that the scene where cuz the mother the mother finally believes it yeah
0: she believes when... her really fast actually like which was a Subversion I really like, because usually it's, oh, she's just a kid. She's just saying things. But no, this family does not waste any time in getting the fuck out of that house.
1: Is it like when the, when the chair and stuff starts flying around? Um,
0: That's part of it. But that's when the police were called. There's something that happens. I don't remember what it is. But the mom and everyone decide to go to the neighbor's house and call the police. And then they go oh. back inside the house. And then that's when the chair starts moving. And that goes to... I think
1: it's... Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the times when, um, when they're in, they're in the bedroom and the mother kind of comes in cause the girl, cause the sister's freaking out. And then they hear like the, the voice kind of screams like you're in my house. Oh yeah. Or, this that's is right. my house. And then they cause didn't... then they think somebody's in there and that's when they call the police. Yeah.
0: And then they run straight to the neighbors, call the police. And that was the time. It's just like, okay, yep, we're done. And then, yeah, this ghost does not give a fuck. Like he, the police are there. They're knocking on the walls and they're just like, all right, if anyone's in here, come on out. And then just right in and moves the chair, slams it against the wall. Bam. That's that right there.
1: Well, and that's what I really like about, I feel like, James Wan. Like, you, you already kind of mentioned that, like, you know, they kind of just run right out of there and the mother gets it quickly. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in his films, he, the people are pretty smart. Mm-hmm. They're not idiots. Like, they don't they don't naysay a lot. Mm-hmm. They're not like, oh, no, this can't, this can't be true. Like, in Insidious, as soon as, like, the house, they're like, oh, the house can' kind of possessed, they move.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, in this, as soon as they realize what's going on, they get the fuck out of there and they call the police. Mm-hmm. Like... There's that kind of weird scene where the police kind of just walk out after they see it, which is kind of comedic, where they're just like, well, we don't know what we can do. We can file but a like, report. Yeah, time, exactly. It makes sense. But they're just like,
0: yeah, this like, is way above our pay grade. Sorry, not happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, like, uh-huh. it's a little funny, but it's also, you know, at the same time, like, what would a police officer do? Yeah. Be like, uh-huh. I'm going to shoot it. Uh-huh. Like...
0: Well, I mean, they're British. They really don't have guns, so... <laughs> I know,
1: there, there we go. Sure.
0: Yeah, if it was something in America, that's that. But I, I like it, too, because there really isn't an escape for this family because they're living in poverty. They can't afford the luxury of moving to a new place. They're depending on the support of their neighbors. So that makes them feel mm-hmm. even more trapped in that instance. So it's pretty mm-hmm. good. But yeah.
1: Well, I was, I, I like, i thinking about it. Like, I don't think, feel like we really see very often, like they're living in a duplex. Like we don't really see very often when like this horror strikes in the middle of a very populated town and like, Everybody like they have they share a wall with a neighbor mm-hmm. like I feel like that's actually kind of rare for a horror. Yeah, like, I'm trying to think of what is another example of that. Like maybe sometimes like apartment complexes, mm-hmm. but that's kind of isolating in itself because it's kind of yeah you know like uh, a single house among many mm-hmm. um, in, in one building. But this is kind of like out in the open. Yeah, like, the house isn't isolated. The the kids can be seen. Like if you know if somebody saw that window, mm-hmm. they'd see it.
0: Yeah, I wonder what the next door neighbors were thinking the whole time. Just play like, oh yeah. god, that woman's screaming about getting out of the house again. Damn. Yeah, I know. So I really,
1: just think it's like really rough sex or something.
0: Yeah, must be. Either that or yeah, just... It's gotta uh, be. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we're moving on that one right there. And eventually <laughs> they decide to... Um, the The local London paranormal chapter gets wind of this incident. And then they decide to have a news interview about it um, where Janet sits on down and this newscaster tries talking to old man, Bill, who is the guy who was possessing the entire house. Um, And there's this really, really good scene. And once again, the actress who plays Janet does an amazing job where she just kind of sits there and she tilts her head forward and she looks up at him and says, it's my house. And this really, really angry old cockney old man voice lights go out. Once again, this demon does not give a fuck. You know, newscast, he's on camera, he doesn't care. He's just like, let's go, let's do this. So yeah. Um, That's that. He states that he enjoys tormenting the family, and he really, really wants his home. Simple motivation, all of that right there. But this is the time when the Warrens come on in, because they get wind of what's going on in this movie or what's going on in this story oh this poor house is being haunted and the Catholic Church is the one who approaches them right yeah Yeah. and they're saying okay you just go on over you talk about it you scope it out see how it is um, but you're basically an unofficial eyes of the church because we don't want to get involved in this we don't want to get involved in a possession if it actually is a possession just you know give us the low key and we'll make a decision based on there So they do, they go on over, and at this point, um, I remember there's a really, really cool scene where the Warrens come on over, and they've actually, we get to see how they're dealing with all the spooky stuff. Um, Because at one point in the movie, Janet does try living in the neighbor's house, but she still gets possessed, and she still ends up in her bedroom with the David Cassidy poster, and she still works on that right there
1: well actually um yeah. it's, or just to backtrack a little yeah, bit um, just before we get to uh, kind of the warrants coming over i think uh one thing that kind of happens to them is we kind of see what happens to them after their fame after their big event with the amityville horror house mm-hmm. um and we kind of see that they basically have been doing circuits since then mm-hmm. like uh the amityville horror they kind of took a break after that um like uh uh, Vera Farmi or Lorraine, uh suggested. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see that at that point they're getting a lot of kind of pushback. They're getting a lot of people who don't believe them mm-hmm. and they're kind of going on press conferences and getting basically in shouting matches with the people who are hosting them. Oh, yeah. Um, uh-huh. And so kind of a lot of their motivation to go on this trip is that Ed, part of the reason he's pushing for it is he wants to kind of legitimize his profession. Yeah. He wants to be like, no, this is real. Uh-huh. And, you know, they they basically say that this is the like, British version of the Amityville Horror. Mm-hmm. And so that's what kind of draws them. Mm-hmm. They they think that it's a chance to kind of redeem themselves in a way, to kind of get back in the public eye. Um, and Ed's kind of taking it as a chance to show everybody what he can do and show that he's real, mm-hmm. basically.
0: Yeah, and that's a great feel of motivation for him because it causes tension with his wife, who, you know, is still clearly remembering that vision of him being impaled by that tree in the opening mm-hmm. scene. And she is... Going back and forth, saying, "Oh, Ed, please, we can't do this. It's too dangerous." Blah blah blah. Let's just retire. Let's do our own thing. Let's let's take the easy jobs. But he, being you know, Ed Warren slash Patrick Wilson, is all gun ho about it. And I, mm. I I felt that was a very natural way of putting this married couple at odds, even though they're still supporting each other and still taking each other into consideration. At that point they're both worried about different things. Mm -hmm. And I liked that little bit of tension in there.
1: Well, And before they head over, too, that's also when we get the scene where she sees the nun again, right? The the painting scene? Oh, yes. Okay, so let's pause there for a second because
0: this is honestly my... Okay, so I'm going to wrap into an anecdote in here because this is my favorite scene in the entire movie. Of course. So, after we get a whole bunch of scenes with spooky stuff happening to Janet in the house over in London we switch back to the Warren's household and um, Lorraine comes on over, talks to Patrick a little bit, who, is, or not Patrick, Ed, who is painting this creepy-ass picture of that nun and says, oh, I just saw it in a dream one day and decided to paint it. And I don't know about you, but if that happened to me and I woke up and I saw someone painting that creepy-ass picture, I would be like, all right, let's burn it. Done. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. I agree. I I love the design of the nun. It's just a really ugh. Oh, gosh. Um, So that's what happens right there. There's this scene at the breakfast table where. Did they establish they had a daughter in the first movie, or is that something new?
1: I believe they established that they did. Okay. Oh, yeah, they did. Because um, out, out, at one point, uh, a demon
0: attacks her. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. It, uh, it
1: actually picks up the animal doll like chases her around with it. Gotcha.
0: <laughs> All right. Yeah, because I remember um, I was sitting in the theater when I saw that scene, and daughter comes on out, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, you know, is she a ghost? Is she going to attack? Because they don't, they just sit there, and they don't talk to her for like a good five seconds. And then she finally speaks up. And then they talk to her normally. And I was just like, oh, okay, good. This is not a scary thing that's happening. It's just a premonition. This is a safe scene. Nothing scary is going to happen on this one. Sounds good. And I remember I stood up and I went to the bathroom at this point, And then I came back in. And I saw the scene later on YouTube. And I saw it again when I saw it a couple weeks ago. But um, their daughter is standing in this hallway, um, this abnormally long hallway points over to Lorraine and says, Mom, who's that? And then she points down the uh, hallway and the creepy nun is there. And she's just staring. And it's like, it's so Shining-esque in terms of just standing there and then slowly walks away. I remember I walked right back into the theater as the camera zoomed in on the nun and I was just like, holy shit. I was walking back to my seat and I still jumped. Um, (laughs) But... My favorite scene in the entire movie... um, why don't you go ahead and describe what happens once she gets into the study?
1: All right. So, yeah. Um, so, Lorraine's kind of sitting down, taking a, taking a wee little nap by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of has one of her premonitions, I'd almost say. Um, and she uh, walks down. Is, is in the study? Is that where she ends up
0: going? Yeah. She ends up going to the study slash office yeah. or whatever it is. But, yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and it's all kind of dark uh-huh. there. And um, on the wall is this painting. And. She starts to see uh, this kind of shadow, kind of going across uh, the wall. Um, she'd already kind of seen that on a little bit, yeah. Um, and the shadow kind of goes across the wall, and it it kind of lines up with the painting, so that the shadow's kind of head and shoulders a kind of so the space good. of the portrait.
0: Oh the tension is and so you... good. We have no idea what's gonna happen, but still, it's just like it's not gonna be good.
1: And then you just hear this like kind of like almost cracking noise as these like spiny fingers pull out and grab the edge of the frame. Mm-hmm. And you have the kind of like holy sh- holy shit moment where you kind of like oh fuck
0: like this is happening mm-hmm.
1: and then she's fucking charges her
0: <laughs> like a linebacker. It's so good, Ugh. It, it and it's so fucking effective because
1: uh-huh. like I thought the same thing when I first saw that Annabelle. Um, there, there's a similar scene where where she kind of uh, one of the main girl kind of sees uh, a premonition of some girl kind of across the hallway. Mm-hmm. And she's just standing there and like, oh, this is scary. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. When somebody fucking goes whole hog and just sprints at mm-hmm. you, it's fucking terrifying. Especially
0: mm-hmm. when this nun has not been moving fast this entire movie. Like, even in the basement scene, she's just kind of wandering around here and there. Like, stuff, fast stuff happens around her, but the nun itself, not so much. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that. And then she falls into the basement from the premonition at the very beginning of the movie again and mm-hmm. sees Ed getting wood again and by that i mean getting impaled again and wakes up again and it really really establishes again oh this is something that's probably going to crop up later it's an again and again moments um so and then the key <laughs> thing is once she wakes up she starts ripping up her bible that she had in her lap on the couch and just keeps on writing miscellaneous letters on there. And the really cool thing about this scene, and I didn't know it until my second watch, um, the way they defeat the demon at the very end of the movie is to say its name. And there are three instances in this scene where the demon's name is actually in the house. It's spelled Mm -hmm. out in the kitchen, right under the Mm -hmm. window. Um, There is five different letters on the wallpaper that spell out its name. It's also in the bookcase when she wakes up, um, and there's one more in the study. It's right by a globe where the five letters of the demon's name are spelled out right there. So, subconsciously, James already imprints that, hey, this is the demon's name. So when it's actually revealed, I kind of had a familiar moment, like, hey, wait a second, didn't I see that name before? Mm.
1: Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's actually funny, because I remember when I was watching that scene, I, I'm when I watch movies, I'm a big, like, I like to stare at the scenery. Yeah, and like the first time I saw it, I, I saw that, and I was like, "What the fuck does that mean?" I'm like, "What?" Like, I thought they were blocking off some letters or something like that. Mm-hmm. So like, I was just so like, I was kind of reading. It. I'm like, "Oh, it's like you know is somebody in their family. Mm-hmm. Is their daughter's name like?" Yeah. is it, is it, are there letters missing that I just can't see off screen? Mm-hmm. And like is, you know, it's just obviously like the daughter's craft project. Yeah. So when that came at the end, I was like, "Oh shit!" Uh-huh. Like, yeah, and it was, it was so well set effective
0: up. too because it's just ah, yeah. uh, it's some great foreshadowing and and. Mm this movie is filled with a whole bunch of moments like that. Cause I remember one of the spooky moments when the house was being haunted at the very, very beginning of the movie over in London, there's this scene where I can't remember if it's the youngest son who wants the biscuits or if it's Janet, but I think it's the youngest son. He gets a glass of water from the kitchen, walks right past the living room and then out of focus to the side, you can see the old man sitting in the chair, mm-hmm. the camera pans, doesn't even pan towards it. Um, doesn't even make reference of it, but you can see it out of the corner of your eye and just, ah, it's so good.
1: Yeah. That that subtle horror is amazing.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of the scene from Insidious where the boy is just facing the wall by the laundry machine. Wall by the laundry machine. Let me think about that. Um, So. me. Okay, so the scene in Insidious where the boy's dancing. And oh, the yes. tiny Tim thing. Yeah, and the mom's wearing it on through and she's doing the laundry and everything like that. There's a scene where she passes right through the laundry room and there's this boy standing right by the laundry machine with his ha- face to the wall. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's a blink and you miss it moments, but it's just, ugh, it's so good. Yeah. Anyway, so Warren's are being haunted by this nun. The British family is being haunted by this cockney old man. And at this point, that's when the Warren's. Decide to take this case. Catholic Church comes on in, says, "Listen, you go out to England, you do your thing, you report back to us. You want? We want you to be the eyes and the ears of the church, unofficially, of course, but that's that. Um, uh, yep, that's that." So, at this point, this is when things really kick it a high gear because we've got two paranormal investigator professionals, Evan Lorraine, coming on in, and they know their stuff, and immediately. They sit Janet down um, and have an interrogation. But before that, there's this really good scene that I really, really like where Lorraine goes out to the backyard and sits down with Janet on the swing. And at this point in the movie, the family has been haunted by this old man ghost for a few weeks now. And you can tell it's clearly, clearly taking the toll. The rest of the family, except for mom and Janet, is living with the neighbors across the street because janet's possessed and she is putting the neighbors in danger as well so she has to stay in the house and the you know the family really really misses them and janet you can see in her face she is so tired all the time she is completely beaten and it's really terrifying because it's just this sad little girl and the mom is so beaten and so tired as well the house is a complete mess um The bedroom, I believe, is just completely thrown apart. Yeah,
1: the big crosses everywhere. Yeah,
0: the big crosses everywhere. They're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks at this point. But Lorraine comes on down and sits next to Janet, who is at this point basically giving up. And she says, hey, I know what you're going through. And this is something where maybe because I didn't see the first movie, I was missing a lot of the backstory. But... What exactly are Lorraine's powers? She's more in tune to life and death. She can see ghosts. She can see dead people. What, what, what's... I,
1: I think, yeah, I think she just can kind of travel into the ghost realm. She can see ghosts. She can be aware of ghosts. Like, she's more of kind of like the, I don't know, the, she'd be kind of the support mage in this class, and Ed's kind of the <laughs> fighter, I suppose. Like, he's the he's the brawler character uh, in the party. Yeah. He's I can kind see him of a fighter.
0: Or, no, he's a cleric. There we go. He's a cleric. That's yeah. what he does. he's got the religious aspect to him he's got the cross around him and he's still big and burly but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so okay so yeah it's a really really good scene where they talk about this and there's this really good line where lorraine talks about how when she was growing up she saw things or she felt things that she didn't people didn't believe her about it. And one day she finally met someone who did believe all of this paranormal stuff that she was experiencing. And then Janet goes, well, what did you do? And she goes, well, I married him. And I remember I saw them there and I audibly went, aw.
1: Yeah, that was a sweet scene.
0: And that's one thing that I really like is sprinkled into this movie is uh, James is not afraid to shy away from moments like that, those tender, heart-filled moments. Like, overall, I mean, this is a movie where no one dies, everything returns to normal at the end, for the most part. Um, you know, there are some tense scenes, there are definitely some great jump scares, but in the end, it's... it is what it is. Um, and the good guys win pretty single-handedly, like, there's no sacrifices made whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But um what was i gonna say yeah and just little moments like that and And at this point you know ed and lorraine decide to do their investigation and they decide to do an interview with mr bill the old Mm -hmm. man ghost um with a whole bunch of other paranormal investigators in play and do you want to talk about that scene for a little bit or you got another opinion
1: Oh no, sure. I'll go with that. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so they they you know they have the interview and they decide to to make sure that she's not lying. They have her put water in her mouth, kind of sip some water and hold it in her mouth mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that she isn't uh, doing what do you call that thing with the puppet? Uh,
0: ventriloquism. Yep. There you go, ventriloquism. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, basically, because their their first thing they have to do is just prove that it's real. Like, that's their goal is to go and prove that it's not a hoax. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have this conversation with her um, where they have to face away from her. Um, and they ask her questions and then Bill will reply.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and I don't believe we get too much out of that aside from basically Bill just saying like, get out of my house. This is my house.
0: I think we we learned his name at at this point. Yes, Yes, that's true. uh And that's that right there. And then also, uh, yeah, we can do the name.
1: No, no, I think the, do you have something to say?
0: Uh, yeah, no, I just, I really like the cinematography in the scene. Mm -hmm. It's all one big establishing shot. Um, Mm -hmm. Ed Warren is in the front uh, frame and Janet is sitting on the chair in the back. They're both in the single shot. Bill goes, or no, Janet goes, oh, he won't come out unless you turn around. So they decide, okay, fine, we'll turn around. And the camera focuses in on Ed's face. Mm -hmm. And then the background is a little bit blurry and it gets more and more blurry as the scene goes on and as it gets darker and darker and darker. And I don't know what trickery James did to figure this out because I know he used very minimal CGI in this movie, but as he's talking and as Janet's voice gets more and more distorted and kind of anamorphs its way into Bill, the... Figure in the back sitting on the chair gets bigger as well, mm-hmm. and it's a very gradual, slow change. But it's a really, really cool and really, really effective one. I remember sitting in the theater looking at it and it's like, "Wait a second, is that? No, she wasn't that big, was she? Oh my <laughs> god, she's physically transforming <coughs> into Bill. That is awesome." Mm-hmm. Um, and is that that point where? Oh, we get the one piece of the puzzle. Um, in terms of the big twist with Bill at the very, very end. But we'll get to that later. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. So that's what happens. She transforms back into Janet, spits that water out, and at this point Ed and Lorraine are convinced. She mm-hmm. is completely authentic. This is an actual haunting. Ed gets really excited. Hey, now this is time to reestablish my credibility. And Lorraine gets even more and more worried. But it's dangerous. We can't do this. Blah, blah, blah. And then they decide to stay in the house and see this thing through until the end. And this is another one of my favorite scenes in the movie, uh, the Christmas scene, Mm -hmm. where the family comes on over. They decide, you know what, it's Christmas. Let's go ahead. Let's get the family back together. Let's see if they're happy about it. And... Uh, Ed Warren tries to fix their um, record player, but it's not working. I don't think it was a ghost. I think it was the (laughs) ex-husband. I don't know. It could be. If if this was an actual book written by the actual Ed Warren, I'm sure they would have said, yeah, then the ghost broke the record player. But, he instead brings out a guitar and plays I Can't Help Fall In Love With You by Presley, and the kids all sit around, and they sing along to it, and... You know Patrick Wilson. He was a Broadway star. He was in Phantom of the Opera, so he knows mm-hmm. how to play his stuff, and he knows how to sing really well too. Yeah, he does. And there's this great scene where Lorraine is just, just staring at him, and she's just like, "God, I love this man." And then Ed looks up and stares back at her and says, "Yeah, baby, I love you too." <laughs> and it's it's a really tender moment. It's a really really sweet moment. And going back to the swing scene from earlier with Lorraine and Janet's, I'm not afraid that I I, I like the fact that. Those types of scenes are included in this movie. It gives it a lot more heart. It gives it a lot more character, and it develops these characters a lot more too. So,
1: yeah. Well, and, and like you mentioned too, like the the guitar was was their father's, mm-hmm. and and it was kind of the symbol of kind of their broken home. I think I believe the guitar is broken as well.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, um. And so it, yeah. yeah, So him, him doing that was kind of him, you know, again retuning the family. It's that kind of. Mm-hmm. It was like you know, it was maybe maybe kind of a little on the nose, but it was it was a nice touch, kind of yeah. showing that this was his way. of helping the family and I think Ed even says at one point he's like sometimes like you know when you're experiencing this trauma you this terrible thing you don't think about the people mm-hmm. you don't think about like helping yourself and making sure that you're okay yeah. and he and that was part of what his goal was he's like part of this kind of our treatment part of what we're doing here is making sure that you guys are okay and that the people who are experiencing these things don't feel alone and don't feel mm-hmm. um, separated
0: yeah because both you know, of them this. both Ed and Lorraine experienced paranormal events when they were younger and you know they went through the exact same thing they did um, this London family did, and you know they 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 emphasize with it. They understand how it is, so mm-hmm. it's a pretty cool scene. I like that. It. Um, it was just the right amount of cheese for me. Yeah, and then we get into the big well, twist.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, before we do that, should yeah. we um, should we go through any of the other kind of? Because there are a few little haunting scenes in the, between there. Are there any that stand out? you that we should talk about.
0: Um, I liked the scene. Actually, I think that comes at the climax of the movie, where she Janet pops up on the ceiling. Was that the climax um, of the movie?
1: Well, you mean when, when she's tied up, when she ties herself and pops up on the ceiling? Yes. Or?
0: When she ties herself and pops up on the ceiling. No, because that's when they break no, that, into the really bedroom for the first time. Because they they, mm-hmm. they they end up locking the bedroom, just completely 100% locking it, and then Janet um, at one point she ties herself to a bedpost in her mom's room. And then... She disappears through the floor at one point, um, and then wakes up, and she's on the ceiling. Cockney old man sitting in his dead chair, the chair he died in, looks up at her, walks upstairs to the bedroom, and then pulls her through the floor again, and then that's how she ends up locked in the bedroom, and then that's when Ed and Lorraine have to break down the door and basically try and get her out of there, so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it was a tense scene. It was a good scene. Um, Mm -hmm. I liked it.
1: Well, I also really like um, the, the scene with the dog.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. where he
1: or the boy, the boy. I think it's the biscuit scene you're talking about, where he co- gets up and goes get, wa- get water, uh-huh. and then he hears the dog ring the bell. They kind of established earlier that mm-hmm. their neighbor's dog will yeah. hit a bell with his paw when he wants uh-huh. to go outside. So he walks the dog out, mm-hmm. and as he's standing there, the dog transforms into the crooked man, which mm-hmm. is kind of a. Uh, uh, a fictitious little kind of fable or um, limerick that they have. Yeah. Um, in this old kind of one of those spinning things called uh, uh,
0: spectroscope. Something yeah. like
1: that. And it kind of sings that song that pops up, and it's it's mm-hmm. kind of like it's it's not really scary, but it's kind of creepy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The way he just kind of pulls himself out, he's like very Jack Skellington like, very long. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I thought that was really effective.
0: So I'm sure you know the background information, and you've researched like the production notes and everything like this. But what did you think of the actual like Crooked Man movements and how it appeared and how he morphed in from the dog to the Crooked Man? Um, did you think that looked authentic? Do you think that looked good? Did you feel like it meshed in well with the tone of the movie?
1: Um, it did feel to me. It felt a little cartoony, like a little, mm-hmm. but like, but on a terrible way. Um, I thought that his later, the, the scene he gets later, Mm -hmm. I don't like seeing him as much as I do later, because I think the, the color of his hat just looks really kind of weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The like awkward, like purple hat Mm -hmm. is a little awkward. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that it kind of provides, to me, I kind of almost saw it as childlike because in this case, it's the youngest son who's seeing it the first time. And it it is a child's
0: toy that he comes from, so.
1: Yeah. So it's taking on that kind of child scariness, Uh like that grotesque. Like, almost like the clown thing, kind of the uncanny valley of, like, kind of childlike happy, but then grotesque. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really effective for that reason.
0: Yeah. Um, no, the reason why I brought that up is, um, you know, all the Reddit threads after this movie was released were saying, oh, the CGI, when he transforms into the human, looks so fake, and the cricket Man CGI was so fake, and all of that stuff right there. But it was actually stop motion, a combination of stop motion and practical effects. Um, Doug Jones, I believe his name is. What Wait, it's Doug Jones. Let me look that up. I, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, That's awesome. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Javier Bote. I don't um, he that. was the really, really tall, creepy woman in Wreck. Um, oh. He was the Slender Man in the new Slender Man movie. Um, yeah, but basically he does a lot of various... He was Mama and Mama. Um But yeah, he does a lot of very similar stuff to Doug Jones, Um, very similar roles in that in terms of the awkward, creepy movements, that sort of thing. But yeah, apparently the transformation was all stop motion. I mean, it was mostly silhouetted, so pretty easy. And then the creepy movements back and forth, that was also that as well. Um, I think they turned the frames per second down on that one. But yeah, it was all authentic, so I always thought that was kind of interesting. That is awesome. Yeah. So that's that right there. Um, yeah, so those are the two scares that happen right there. decent and scares, beasts and jump scares, beasts and tense moments. Hmm. But then we but, get to the uh, real climax of the movie where we find out uh, there's a scene in the kitchen that happens. And are we ready to give them that, or you got more thoughts?
1: Oh, no no, 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 we're good, we're good.
0: Okay. So there's a scene laying around in the kitchen where they set up recording devices all over the entire house, um, including one in the garden, um, looking straight into the kitchen. And hijinks ensue. There's another haunting that happens. Um, Janet disappears for a while, ends up in some pipes, um, almost kills Biscuit Boy. But the important thing is they review the tapes after this haunting is over, after this spook is over, and they find out that... They have video evidence of Janet actually throwing breaking stuff in the kitchen, which leads these other two paranormal investigators who are not the Warrens to believe she's faking it. This whole thing is a hoax, Janet was just being a dumb little kid, um mm-hmm. trying to do all that right there, so they call it off, they say, "Listen, this is obviously a hoax. We can't do anything for you. I'm sorry." And all the paranormal investigators leave, while mom is basically just really pissed and saying, "All right, if you're not going to help, then you're not allowed in my house." Bye. See you.
1: Yeah. So, actually, just to kind of pause there. Uh-huh. Um, I believe, um, I think it's. I'm kind of looking at the cast. I believe it's Maurice Gross, who is one of the other paranormal investigators. Mm-hmm. He doesn't kind of give up on them. He because remember, they're about to leave, and he's like, "No one." He's like, "Who's going to help these people?" Mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah, you know, and, and Warren, and, and and they're they kind of say they're going to leave. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish that his character was a little bit more present, because he almost kind of seems like the hero of, of the story, in a way. Like, he could yeah. he could have turned into the hero of the story, because mm-hmm. he's, he's one of the older um, investigators who come with them to kind of prove that it's true. Yeah. And he never once doubts that they're that they're telling mm-hmm. the truth.
0: Yeah. Um, Maurice is kind of the good angel on the Warren shoulder, and then Anita Gregory, who's the other paranormal investigator, she's all, yeah, they're faking it. Sorry. Can't happen. We're outside. We're out like a girl scout. So, yeah. Um... Yeah, he's a character that's kind of a regale to the background, but he does have some. I agree. And then he gives them the equipment that they use to solve this puzzle on the train, right?
1: Oh, is he the one who gives them the recording? If
0: I remember correctly. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, the Warrens are on the train heading back to the airport, sitting there when Lorraine has an idea. They take the two recordings, the one recording they got from the interview with Bill when he's sitting on the chair, when Janet's got the water in his mouth, and then another recording from the kitchen scene where Janet appears in the pipes at the very end, and they realize that it's actually two halves of the same sentence, and then they combine them together using their primitive 70s technology that probably took them way more time to fiddle with than the movie actually showed, (laughs) but we hear... Bill screaming out, Help me, it won't let me go. Help me, it won't let me go. Over and over again. Where the big twist in the movie is <gasps> Bill is not the real antagonist. He's being manipulated by someone, um, some otherworldly presence. And that's when Lorraine makes the connection that it's that goddamn nun. Goddamn nun. Goddamn nun. So nun. they run out of the train. It starts storming. They head on over, and that's when the big showdown is. They return to the Hodgson residence. Um, Janet's possessed again, and she locks herself up in the bedroom. The rest of the family is completely evicted from the house, and that's when Ed decides to go through the basement. And I, I, I just had another thought, too. I really love this climax because the house that they live in has been so established at this point. We know the layout exactly. It's a tiny little house with just a kitchen, a living room, and three bedrooms, and that's it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then a basement that's flooding. But we have gotten to know the house so, so well at this point that during this climax, when Ed basically starts his way to the bottom and moves his way to the top, we know exactly where he is. We know exactly what his goal is. We know exactly where he's going. I mean, the house is basically a character in itself at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it coming back and him and having him traverse the entire place for the climax was a great, great idea. Um, I really liked it. So Ed and Lorraine go on down to the basement. doors locked. Ed works his way through, or I'm sorry it's not locked yet, Ed works his way through then it gets locked behind and Ed and Lorraine get separated and they share their little tender moment where they say they love each other and he'll be safe and all that stuff right there and then Lorraine goes back to the front and bam, lightning strikes there's a big ass tree right in the log, uh, right in the yard that looks exactly like the one that impales Ed in her vision. So Hmm.
1: Actually, at this point, did you think Ed was going to die?
0: Uh, no, I don't think so, because just, I don't know, I, I didn't feel like it. I mean, it was definitely a tense scene, but I felt it was a little bit too on the nose mm-hmm. for that, and especially for, you know, a James Wan movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't think so. Did you think so?
1: I, I, I think I knew it wasn't going to, mm-hmm. but I don't know, I feel like with me, like, if I, there's a character that I really like in a movie, and they hint that they might die... Mm-hmm. I I'm terrified that they're going to die. I'm yeah, just like, and usually, oh, shit. if you kill this character, I'm gonna be pissed.
0: <laughs> and usually, when a movie does that, like they have their little tender last moment where they talk to their loved ones and say, "Don't worry, I'll be okay." You know, that's that's amping up the tension right there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely, they were trying to get there. They were trying to get at it. But what happens is, I mean, what happens in the basement there? So he makes his way through, and then what happens after that, Andrew?
1: I don't think. Uh, let see. So he makes his way through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I don't believe he encounters anything inside the basement, does he? I know no, he does earlier not. in the scene he does. Mm-hmm. So he he basically he sees that there's kind of a uh, a waterlogged uh, piece of roof above or a floor above. Him. So he basically just rips through it with his bare hands, mm-hmm. which really makes you wonder how how fucking uh, you know secure that floor is. Yeah, like, I
0: mean it I, is a house that's falling apart. That's true. It is a house falling apart.
1: So he basically pulls himself up through that, um, and as he does, uh, the demon uh, kind of twists the handle off of a a valve for uh, a steam pipe or for the heating Mm -hmm. and he basically just gets sprayed in the face with piping hot water um, which momentarily blinds him and we get to see a a good couple minutes of him making his way uh, upstairs Mm -hmm.
0: and Um, there's a couple shots of him just kind of blindly making his way through and then the crooked man pops up behind him too mm -hmm. but the crooked man doesn't do anything he's just like hey i'm here i'm still here i'm still scary well, yeah, no, he, he,
1: does, he he does a lot of damage, doesn't he? He, like, he bursts out of the, um, out of the the teepee and, like, rips up the entire fucking top of the house, and then kind of chases him down. He, like, he, the man's pretty present. He he acts a lot. I, at least I thought he did it.
0: Well, once they get to the upstairs, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, you are sorry, the you're talking about yeah, before. Yeah, they're in the kitchen, oh. he's just kind of staring and like, oh, here's more attention on that one, so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so then Ed makes his way up, bumps mm-hmm. in the Crooked Man, you know. And, and to me, that's when the Crooked Man kind of fell apart. When you see his face, he looks very comical. Yeah, um,
0: he's got those big fang teeth and all that. And the weird hat that his
1: eyes are poking through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I don't know, it almost looked like a Pokemon to me a little bit. Yeah, uh, It's just kind of <laughs> kind of awkward. Um, uh-huh. And I know they're making a movie. Um, it's one of the next movies coming up. Is yeah. the Crooked Man film. And I'm curious if they're gonna, you know, change him a little bit, like maybe make his hat a little bit darker, or maybe make him re- remove the hat to show something else. Uh, it's um, gonna
0: be a crossover with Detective Pikachu. Uh, Detective <laughs> Pikachu is gonna solve all the murders the crooked man has committed, and um, Danny DeVito is going to boy's Pikachu, so Brian Reynolds is pissed off about that, but you know, it, it is what it is, so. Dude, I'm not gonna lie,
1: I would watch the shit out of that. Oh, I would Especially because, like, it, it, you know, if it's, if it's a hard R Pokemon movie, like, uh-huh. yeah, Pikachu literally shock the shit out of the devil. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> fucking Thunderbolt him. Done. <laughs> Great.
0: Anyway. So, Ed gets up to the top floor, and what happens there?
1: Um, so Ed gets up there, and he sees, um, the, the youngest daughter, not his youngest daughter, middle Uh, youngest daughter daughter. uh, janet Mm -hmm. um and she's perched kind of on the edge of the uh windowsill in their room Mm -hmm. and is basically looking down at that tree that was earlier hit by lightning um kind of looking to jump off the edge and impale herself on it
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um and ed you know hero that he is our cleric as you said Mm -hmm. runs across grabs her um and despite how ripped patrick wilson looks uh, he, you know, she kind of overpowers him a little bit. Her weight, mm-hmm. um, and he ends up basically almost falling out of the window. Um, he ends up grabbing, I believe, the uh, the shade, mm-hmm. and kind of using that to hold himself up.
0: Mm-hmm. And you got this um, great shot of you know all of the runs in the shade just kind of coming apart one by one as he's hanging on there. Rain tearing into his face, all of that. Yep.
1: And then outside, uh, we have Lorraine, mm-hmm. who at this point had gone back to kind of the front of the house. Um, she was. I, I can't remember this one. She had a revelation because I'm assuming she has a revelation before she watches her husband hanging out the window.
0: Um, I don't believe she well, at, yeah, at well, some, no. I, I think the second she sees the lightning strike that she, she realizes, okay, this is the moment. This is mm-hmm. what that premonition was talking about.
1: Yeah. Well, well, I mean at this point, cause I believe she was, she went out back again mm-hmm. and then she kind of came back around because she realizes uh, that she wrote down the name. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. there's scratchings earlier were uh, the name of the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, which she kind of spells out, um, which is the name of Valak.
0: Mm-hmm. Or Valak, sorry. Valak, yeah. And then that's the same name that was in their house, kind of distributed throughout that scene in the study where the nuns invaded the, the nuns invaded the Warrens' household, too. It's like, we saw the name, we knew the name, it was interesting, but now she makes that connection as well.
1: And then she has a pretty good, pretty easy time of it getting up into the house, you know? Yeah. Like I guess the nuns a little distracted watching uh mm-hmm. You know, him hanging over there, but I feel like the nun could have done a little bit more.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think at that point she was, he was more, or she was more concerned with attacking Patrick Wilson and Janet's as well. Um, and I guess, yeah, Lorraine just kind of slipped her mind.
1: Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I can't blame her. But yeah, so there she comes into the room, uh, sees what's going on, and uh, Valak kind of uses her force powers and pushes her up against the wall. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a pretty good scene. Uh, yeah. I thought I thought like, like that the kind of the expanse between them and kind of the wind and everything looked awesome.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then, uh, you know, Lorraine has come kind of panic, and then she realizes that, or she kind of decides that if she says the name, she has power over the demon. That's kind of the lore they put into place, is that once mm-hmm. you know the name of a demon, you have power over it. And I believe mm-hmm. that they say the same thing in uh, the Insidious series as well. I think that they kind of have that common thread, where having I the name of a demon puts so you in too. control yeah. of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you I remember um, that.
1: And do you find it weird? So she learns that she learns the demon's name is Balak, Valak. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if like if, if this is like an established demon like if, if they know demons' names but she fucking lists off the longest fucking title <laughs> of this. She's like, you are Valak, the defiler, the fucker of mothers, the third, the junior. And it's just like, and I swear to God, Valak is just like, holy shit, I have a like She fucking gives them so many titles.
0: Uh, No, the best part is she actually doesn't, because I remember I was looking for this on my second watch. She doesn't actually say his name, or her name, until the very, very end. Like, you are the demon of sin. You are the, you know, oh, you are the defiler. You are this, you are that. And the whole time, Patrick Wilson is hanging on by a thread, and I could just picture him going, okay, honey, hurry it up. And then finally she goes, you are Valak. And then that's when demon explodes into butterflies or whatever it is
1: well i, I can't remember does she also is she like yo Val, you need to leave or she just says his name and he's like i'm out uh-huh. <laughs> like,
0: yeah I, I think she said something like you know your name is valak and i banish you or something like that but
1: then, yeah now here, here's my question if you have control over them by knowing their names okay you know kind of like an aragon isn't that oh fuck that is an aragon yeah terrible <laughs> look but uh if that's the case can you be like yo valak now, go get me some fucking candy from the store down the street. Like, if you Valak, can command it with just his name. It's like, Valak, stop the shit. <laughs> go, go fuck Valak, those people up who keep, uh, keep... Like, you know, they should have kept Valak around. You know, bring it, bring it to their talk show.
0: Valak, is like, such a disappointment. Come on. Valak, okay. I told you to run my errands. Valak. We're you not know, peanut butter. Valak.
1: <laughs> from what I'm hearing, based on the nun, Valak, Valak is a disappointment. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, so that that banishes Valak, and I think at that point, then she runs across and helps Ed, who I'm not gonna lie, dude, that he is hanging, he's hanging by a moment for like ever. Yeah, like the calling could have played their entire song, he'd have just been, he would have been doing it. Like it's, mm-hmm. I feel like it's, he has like a solid seven minutes of just like holding her.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it takes forever.
1: Yeah, it's it's I don't know, I feel like he could have gone out of that, uh-huh. I, or you know, or maybe like kind of tossed her to the side, like one of the have, you know some of the people outside who are watching be like, yo guys, mm-hmm. come here. Toss the yeah, it's him. only
0: one. It's only one floor. Like, yeah. you know, there I were ways some to bushes that. and stuff too.
1: Yeah, it's just uh-huh. avoid. You know, avoid the one place with the giant spear sticking out of it.
0: Like, yeah, <laughs>
1: come, on. come on, Patrick Wilson. Um, but yeah. So okay. So do you going to tell So what happens after that? What's our falling action?
0: Um. So after that, um, the day is saved. The demon is banished. The mystery is solved. Um. They go over to Valak and they pull off her mask and it ends up being Old Man Withers in the haunted amusement park and the Scooby gang just goes back home. Um, After that, so they pull it on in. There's an establishing shot where they sit there and Patrick Wilson gives Janet his very, very important cross he got when he was a kid and says, this protected me, Natal protected you too. And I remember sitting there thinking, Ed Warren, you have a daughter why why are you not giving your own daughter this this is yeah
1: <laughs> bro they have so many crosses at their house
0: <laughs> i guess that's true um so that was that and um i remember there's one scene where we see the dog the dog does not die the dog who turned into the crooked man that was not the actual dog the real dog is fine so thankfully Thank i'm God. very happy that that happens and they basically ride off into the sunsets. And the movie closes with um, a slow dance between Ed and Lorraine of Elvis again. I can't help fall in love with but you. Or can't stop falling in love with you. No, I can't help. I can't help fall in love with you. God damn and I'm expecting a jump scare. But there's no jump scare. And then the credits roll. And they display all of the... Um, visions of the uh the pictures of the real events that this movie was inspired by oh i forgot awesome. one scene so we do have a scene at the very end where they take the crooked man spectrometer i think it is or mm-hmm. spectroscope spectroscope um and they put it in their little trophy room based of all the hauntings that they've established the annabelle doll is back there i'm sure something from the first movie is there and then oh, yeah, the like music
1: box in the first movie
0: yeah, the music back's in the first movie, I guess. Um, and then Samuel L. Jackson comes on out, and he says, we're putting together a team, and they're calling it the Conjuring Initiative. Are you in? And they both nod and give each other a high five, and then Imagine dragon starts playing, and the movie ends. So, That's yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Well, and I can't remember. I have some vague recollection. I thought that at one point, like, the Annabelle doll, like, broke out of the... um. Of the case in the at the end of the first movie of The Conjuring, mm-hmm. but maybe I'm thinking of, maybe I'm thinking of some weird flashback from the end of the first Annabelle. Yeah, I could have sworn that at one point the Annabelle doll goes missing.
0: Um, it's definitely not in the second movie. Annabelle doll is there stolen's case. As far as I know, it doesn't break out or anything like that. Maybe so. it's the end of
1: the first one because yeah. I, I swear to God Annabelle like disappears at one point and, it, and they're mm-hmm. kind of setting up the sequel. And I was kind of like, where's
0: Annabelle? Because mm-hmm. um Annabelle came up before The Conjuring too, so that would make more sense timeline wise. Yeah, I really got to well, see the first one.
1: But Annabelle takes place before the first Conjuring anyway.
0: Uh-huh, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Uh-huh. But yeah, um, so that's the Conjuring 2 right there. So overall, I think we're both fairly similar opinions on this. We both think it's a very solid horror movie. There's some great scares. Um, but it really doesn't do too much new. It doesn't really push the horror genre at all. Would you agree with that?
1: I, I'd agree. I'd say it doesn't push the horror genre, but it does, like, it's, it's a shiny example of it.
0: It's 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 horror movie comfort food. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels to me. Like it it does things very, very well.
1: I, I kind of feel like it's it's like it's like the Christopher Nolan Batman. It's the Christopher Nolan version of this story. Mm-hmm. It's it's the well made, well acted, well shot version.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, it looks like we hit all our talking points too. Um
1: Well actually, since we're talking yeah. about this one, like where do you think this lies in terms of the the Conjuring universe they've set up so far, the James Wan filmography. What do you what do you see it
0: in terms of where I would rank it, or yeah. in terms of where I think it's going? I mean, the only two James Wan movies I've seen are Annabelle and the. Oh, in terms of okay, are we are, are it specifically Conjuring universe or specifically all of his movies?
1: We'll, we'll say the Wanverse.
0: Okay, the Wanverse. Um, I would definitely place it above Annabelle. I'd say it's probably on par with Insidious. Um I just I really like the setting of this one. I like the English setting. I liked the whole I feel the theme of family was done a lot stronger here than it was in Insidious. Um the heartwarming moments hit a lot harder. Um like I, I, I liked the whole family banding together and the love story between Ed and Lorraine. I I felt the two lead actors did a great job with the chemistry between the two. In terms of portraying an old, established, married couple who have been at this and know each other super, super well, than the dad and his son from *Insidious*. Um, yeah, so I would probably rank it one of the higher ones. I do hear the first *Conjuring* is generally accepted to be a lot better than this one, though. Really? Yeah. Would I you agree with that? I
1: I don't know. I really like the first one, but I I think that the yeah I think that those themes of family in this one bring kind of elevate it for me. Like I mm-hmm. I liked the first one. I think the first one again was a very good kind of ghost story, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I kind of thought this was like I thought the sequel brought more to the table.
0: Okay. To, for me. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, um, now the real question is going from the James Wanverse, um how does it compare to uh, Furious 7 because he also directed that as well?
1: Well, I have not seen a single Fast and the Furious movie. I'm not going to lie.
0: <laughs> I have not either. So we're going to say um yeah.
1: Well, I'm sure Patrick Wilson had a great role in it. That's, that's uh-huh. all I know. That, that's, I'm, sure, I'm sure he uh-huh. he was the best drug-running um, biker that they ever had.
0: <laughs> and then Fast Furious, too, uh, Furious 7, you know, it's all about family, too. So there we go. We've got that oh, common shit. theme. Right. Oh, man. Oh, I, and... I really like the scene in Fast Furious 7 where they talk about, you know, oh, we're all about family here. No, I like the scene in Conjuring 2 where Vin Diesel comes on in and gives the entire... English family, a pep talk saying, listen, you are all family here. And families stick together, no matter what. And then he just leaves. And then everyone's mm. just like, who was that guy? And then Patrick yeah. Wilson just gives a wink to the audience.
1: You know, and I, and I gotta say, I don't know if it's too soon or not, but the Paul Walker ghost cameo mm. in Seven, mm, that, that was, it not only was it kind of sad, <laughs> but in the, the fact that he couldn't leave the car that he would died in, but like... <laughs> I'm glad you
0: made a Paul Walker joke because I was too afraid to. So now I'm just like, all right, there we go. (laughs) You
1: know, I'm sure he's a great guy. But, you know, rest (laughs) in peace. Uh, Uh, But actually, speaking of that theme of family, uh, do you know who the main actress is in The Nun?
0: uh, No, I do not.
1: So it's actually, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I think it's Tysa Tysa Farmiga. So it's Vera Farmiga's uh, either daughter or sister. Uh Uh-huh. So, and they, they look the exact same. Like, it's, it's insane um, how much they look alike. Oh, uh, it's her sister. Um, uh-huh. So I believe that the nun kind of ties into this in the sense that, like, part of the reason that the nun is, you know, terrorizing specifically the Warrens is because I think they're tying in some kind of, the theory, I think, is that the nun that kind of fights Valak, the other nun in the nun, mm-hmm. that, that's a weird sentence, um, is related to them. So it's kind of like some, they're descendants of them. Gotcha. So they're, I think they're trying, with the Conjuring universe, they're trying to build it in more and more. Mm-hmm. Like I've also heard that at the end there's a twist that connects it to like the first Conjuring movie. Um, so I, I kind of like that these movies that, even though The Nun seems like, oh, they're going to introduce who Val- Valak is, mm-hmm. they're making it kind of a long-term project, it's a, long, a yeah. long-term focus on the Warrens and everything that relates to them is... Mm-hmm kind of goes deeper than just the tertiary level of these guys who bump into the demons
0: yeah and i'm really okay with that i just i really hope that they still establish that these are all very standalone movies like if you go to see infinity war without having seen any of the other marvel movies you're going to be super lost and i i don't want them to have a final accumulating you know horror movie extravaganza the conjuring initiative or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. i really i like the easter eggs i like how they're all connected but I just really hope they all stand together on their own.
1: I agree. Because I, mm-hmm. I think one of the things I think is lacking with the uh, Insidious verse mm-hmm. is I feel like they they you know introduced the, the the Red Delver, the lipstick face man, Darth Maul, whoever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. They introduced him in the first movie and they basically teased him in every movie since.
0: Mm-hmm. At the end of it,
1: they kind of just have, oh, there he is. Oh, there he is.
0: Um, <laughs> just pops up again beside someone's shoulder. Basically, like he, uh-huh. he's he's in the
1: second one because the second one takes place concurrently at times with the first one.
0: Okay, Um is the third the one, third, prequel one or...
1: third one is a prequel, and I believe so is the fourth. I can't okay. remember the fourth, um, but anyway, like the red the red faced team does appear in both of them, and he ends up he appears at the end of the second one. He appears like in the shadows, at the end of the third one, mm-hmm. and like you know they're they're trying to like that, that's like you know obviously the one of the characters is the same. The paranormal investigator is the same in all of them. She kind of mm-hmm. appears in all of them. But they're they're trying to create this greater arc with the red faced demon. I feel like they're going to try to bring it back at some point, point. Mm-hmm. and it's just it's just tiring to watch. Yeah, because like I mm-hmm. like, just kind of like you're saying, I think kind of drawing out this big villain coming back thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think would be a terrible mistake. And I'm I'm glad that Valak, you know, he's not dead, but he gets he gets he or she gets destroyed at the end of the second one, kind of. Yeah, you know, she's gone, and, and and Annabelle, even though it's. It's coming back, and I think they're doing the third one. Uh, yeah, they're not the they, they third Conjuring. Um, I feel like they're not. It's the the reoccurring villain isn't like the same villain. Like even Annabelle kind of doesn't feel the same between the two movies. Mm-hmm. They, they're very standalone. They're just it's terrorizing separate families. The families aren't the same. It's not like a, a revenge pact or anything. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because like, you know, the nun was obviously a very, very big part of this movie, but they don't really dwell into the nun's motivation and where she came from and all of that stuff right there. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the first movie. Yeah, Annabelle played a role in the first movie, right? Yes. Uh-huh.
1: Like, Annabelle was kind of, you know how we have the opening scene um, in this one with the Amityville Horror? Yeah. That was the Annabelle scene in uh, the first one. It gotcha. was It was referencing the first time that they kind of interacted mm-hmm. with Annabelle.
0: So like my interest has peaked, but it's not the main focus of the movie. You know the nun. We can see how the nun met her ends, quote unquote, in the Conjuring too. But you know, oh, this character was fantastic. I'm still interested to hear and where she came from and all of that stuff right there. And I mm-hmm. feel that's a good way to put it. They're delving deeper into the universe, but it's still very standalone. They're connecting the spider webs here and there, but it's not a whole big, you know mess like in those old detective movies where you've got the yarn and the pictures and the thumbtacks up on the corkboard and you know you move it back and forth where is pepe silva pepe silva never existed that sort of thing so well,
1: yeah and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's nice too because there's um like for example in annabelle 2 uh which i think is probably better than the first one um they they even allude to the nun they they have a sister who knows kind of who you kind of see a picture of and you kind of see that on the background and there's a point where a ghost appears at one point and it looks kind of like the nun mm-hmm. um and again, it takes place it takes place kinda of in between the nun and the conjuring verse or the conjuring films. Um, mm-hmm. and they're just nods. They're not like shoving it in your face, like here's the nun, it's just kinda of like, oh, there she is, and she's gone. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the way to do it. Like, yeah. like little nods. Like, you know, it's it's like having like, you know, the the you know, the Oscorp tower in the back of the Avengers movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not shoving it in your face. It's just yeah. Hey, by the way, like these are the same universe, and you know, if they're theoretically far apart with demons possessing things you know, maybe they hang out a little bit. Maybe they have fun.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have their big parties in the back. you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. All right. Cool. Well, any other thoughts on the Conjuring two?
1: No, I think if you haven't seen it, you probably should. It's yeah, really fucking good.
0: A solid movie. And I need to go back and I need to watch the first one. It's on Netflix too. So
1: I think you need to watch that. I think you should watch the Annabelle other Annabelle movie.
0: Yeah, Creation two. Okay, so here's the question for you. Which one do you think is better, Conjuring one or Annabelle Creation? Because I know you were a huge fan of the first Annabelle.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't think I'm a huge fan. I just really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Wait, what do you think about the original Annabelle?
0: I... That could be another podcast entirely like that. You I thought it was good. I definitely <laughs> don't think it's deserved all the criticism it got. Um, I had some great scares. The ending, I felt like they were going for something with that baby at the ends. Mm. And they did I really, really wish they had went with it. Yeah. Because um, that would have been such a... That would have been like missed the missed level of just horrifying, depressing endings. Mm-hmm. But they didn't, and they kind of cheapened out of that. So, um, yeah, overall, I thought it was a decent movie.
1: Hmm. I think mm-hmm. To me, so I am I think part of the reason I love that movie, because um, I don't think it'd be worth doing a full episode on, but I think there's that one scene where she uh, she's there in the room and you see uh, Annabelle kind of standing next to those drapes mm-hmm. and it kind of lifts up and you're like oh shit it's, you know it's levitating mm-hmm. but then it kind of and it's I think it's hilarious that's probably why I love this movie is then you just see the demon behind it like lifting the doll up and it, it kind of adds a sense of realism I'm like yeah like if this of doll were moving around uh-huh. like theoretically there is some demon just carrying this doll around like putting it in places like bumping it into shit uh-huh. and it, like, it makes uh... it so much more fun
0: yeah I think we just solved elf on the shelf okay yeah exactly
1: there's some demon walking around (laughs) and it's like holding like a little fucking like mannequin just like walking around moving in places like positioning it and like all I can think about is like you know in later movies and it appears like is this demon just like I'm gonna carry it over here and put it down I'm gonna move (laughs) it over here It 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 adds so much agency and so much intention to these demons. Uh It's just fucking hilarious, (laughs) and like I just I love that idea that like you know it's it's like with Sam Raimi's universe where the demons just kind of fuck around and like Mm -hmm. yeah they're over the top but like why the fuck wouldn't you be like you're Mm -hmm. an immortal demon who's just messing around like I I think that that seeing behind the curtain is just so fascinating and even though it's cheesy to me it just makes it a better movie it makes it so much more interesting.
0: All right, we'll we'll have to talk about it maybe in a future episode, Mm -hmm. but yeah. All right, cool. So that's been uh, The Conjuring 2. Thank you so much for listening. I am Dan. And I'm Andrew. And we will see you next time. Bye.